Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussions and Dragons, the podcast where my brother and I take an in-depth look at the world of 5e and all things Dungeons and Dragons. Opening and closing music credit to Will Savino at patreon.com slash musicd20. I'm Jaren. And I'm Britton. And this week, we are continuing our discussion of some of our personal beefs with 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. Specifically, this week we're focusing a little bit more on spellcasting. And so, why don't you get us started, Britton? I think uh, you had the first point to talk about. Yeah. So, again, with what we were talking about last week, where this is all coming from a place of love, we don't want to just sit and harp on 5e. We've played with it for a while. We have some concerns. We have things that may kind of rub us the wrong way and as players i think that we should criticize and maybe tweak some things that we don't like about our beloved system so something that has always kind of irked me about spell casting is that concentration checks are very hard to maintain in my opinion um, last week we talked about my beef with the con ability and why that's even a, an ability um, and as casters, you're not going to be putting too many points into con. Generally, casters will try to take the war caster feat so that they can get advantage on the con checks to maintain their concentration. Um, and it just kind of bothers me that someone can just hit you with a spell and break your concentration pretty easily, especially on a bad roll. And, one thing that I would tweak maybe is that you should be able to add your proficiency bonus. How are you not proficient in remaining concentrating on a spell? That's something that you try to do all the time, especially as a caster. You're constantly casting these spells. You've learned how to cast spells. Why, in in what realm of thought are we thinking that they're not proficient in that? That should maybe be a skill. I don't know. Like, what what do you think? I, I do agree with that. That's uh, something I, I I could kind of see spellcasters um, just generally getting. Uh, you know, if concentration was in fact a skill, I think it should be proficient. And I, I will agree with that one. And I think that maybe balance out, um, you know, this uh, idea that that maintaining concentration is a bit challenging. Um, it can be so uh, such a deciding factor in a fight. If if a caster loses concentration on a spell, that can it can really swing the fight. And so I, I will agree that I think maybe they, they should get proficiency if that was a skill. Uh, you'd be able to add your proficiency bonus to your concentration check. Right. And, you know, any damage that they take, they have to main, they have to try to maintain concentration. I think there should maybe even be a threshold of damage. Like if it surpasses... Um, okay, so take, for instance, the rules of concentration is you have to beat a 10 unless half the damage is over 10 then you do half the damage. So basically from zero damage up until 19 damage, uh, actually zero damage up until 20 damage, you have to maintain concentration each time that you get hit by rolling a 10 or more. And it's kind of ridiculous that you tripped and fell, took one damage. Now I broke my concentration because I had a bad roll because I rolled a nine. Like, what? Or somebody hits you for three damage and you roll a nine that three damage i would say is probably like a slap in the face or maybe somebody punched you on the arm kind of hard and left a a bruise why does that break concentration it's you're disarming your caster by making them stop concentrating 
translating that to a fighter or a barbarian or any other martial class that wields a weapon, we don't make them drop their weapon by taking too much damage. There's spells that make you drop your weapon or disarm yourself, but there's not an amount of damage that makes you disarm yourself as a martial class. So I think that it's just kind of ridiculous that there are so many opportunities to break a concentration on a spell. Meanwhile, they've been training their whole lives to use their magic and concentrate on it and be proficient in that. So that's my mini rant. Sorry, I didn't give you too much time to talk about it, but that's just, I, I feel very strongly because I am a caster that casts a lot of concentration spells to set up situations for my party to succeed with these concentration spells, especially as a cleric. There's plenty of opportunities to, for you to cast concentration spells like that. Sure. I can see that point. I think um, I, I once again agree that uh, perhaps they should get to add the proficiency bonus. Um, to play a little bit of the devil's advocate, I will say that it, you know concentration spells tend to be pretty strong ongoing effects, whereas um, you know a fighter dealing melee damage is a one-time thing. Um, so maybe it is a bit of a risk reward. You're gonna you know make the the risk of I might actually lose the ability to do this if I break my concentration, uh, but the reward is it's a pretty strong ongoing effect um, that could really swing swing battle. So it's it's yeah. a fair point though. And I I would agree that um, that those effects are really strong and you do kind of put a target on your back once you do start concentrating on a spell like that. You can tend to say, hey, I'm the caster over here. Look at me. I'm concentrating on this really awesome spell. But maybe there should be a proficiency bonus added. And I, I really do think that there should be a damage threshold. I don't think that every single time you get damaged, you should try have to maintain concentration. I think maybe once it surpasses 15, 20 damage, then you should start having to concentrate. Because those lower things of damage, that's getting hit with shrapnel, maybe. Getting hit with a stray rock I would say even like it's like if somebody like slingshotted a rock at you. Yeah, that hurts, but I'm pretty sure you could still concentrate. Yeah, I it's suppose like singing maybe a song. It would have to be like a percentage uh, of your total hit points, perhaps. Um, you know, 15 damage to uh, a level two caster is a significant amount, whereas 15 damage to somebody that's got a hundred or more hit points is maybe not really that big of a deal. Exactly. Maybe a percentage. I think. Yeah, that would be a good compromise. All right. Um, so continuing on, um, the first thing that I wanted to mention, this is where I'm going to start off with some of the, the lighter points before I get into a bulk of my really serious stuff here. But the first one is more of, um, I would like to see in future versions of the player's handbook, I'd like to see some improvement. This is more for, uh, organization purposes, but, um, I've always found it a bit frustrating with the, the way that spells are laid out in the player's handbook, um, the, that there's this separate list of what each class what each class has access to their different class spell lists and then the descriptions um there are some things that i found that i'm doing i'm writing in my book because it doesn't have this but i would like the spell list you know where it has the class uh, each class and then list whatever class can cast um i would like it if they indicated which spells were ritual spells which could be cast ritually because i realized at one point how good ritual casting was that i wanted to know um, just by a glance at the list, hey, which spells are probably pretty good to cast or to have ready? Um, and I found that I would have to go through the description and flip through that long list of every single spell to figure out, well, which one are which ones of these are ritual cast spells so I can 
just physically mark that in my book. So I think in future uh, versions of the player's handbook with the spell list, they should actually indicate that. I, I would really appreciate that. Yeah, if you can go on D&D Beyond uh, or even Roll20 and see the indicators of which class can cast that spell, I think maybe you could probably just print that in your book too. Any information that you can get where it gives the most amount of information in the shortest amount of time is very helpful, especially for new players. I, I have to assume that people who are picking up PHBs and are flipping through spells generally are newer people that may be a little unfamiliar with spell casting or the spells that they are casting and accessibility i think could be um maximized if like you said they have the classes set there so you can flip through and see all the information that you need rather than flipping back and forth from list to list of spells to spell description to list more lists and more lists and Flipping back and forth is far too much. Right, right. And that does lead to the, to the second part of this, is that I, I would really like if um, the spell description section indicated which classes have access to that. A lot of times when I'm, you know, researching spellcasters and looking at, you know, different spells that I might not have used before, I'm reading through descriptions, um, maybe even like reading some of the higher level spells that I don't really ever get to cast. And I'm like, wow, that sounds really cool which classes can cast that and then i have to flip back to the class list and read through and go wait what level spell was that and i'll flip back to the description and okay, okay it's a fifth level spell and i'll flip back to the list and figure out and go wait that's not a bard spell um is this wizard spell no is it a warlock and it just is kind of a, a pain it's a lot of wasted time so i really would like it if in the description section they listed which classes can cast that yeah. And honestly, to, to, to piggyback a little bit off of this point, and I know this is less of a criticism of the 5e system and maybe more a criticism of, of 5e's book layout, but I think, you know, those kind of go hand in hand, especially since all players still reference their own PHB from time to time. I, I'm a little confused as to why they write the spellcasting components that are not necessary to be purchased for the casting of a spell. Um, like there's bat guano for one of them. There's a grasshopper's leg. And like, I understand flavor and perhaps maybe a DM would like to do that with their wizard or with their spellcaster where they need to purchase all these items. But they even have in the book, they say that all of these, as long as they don't have, as long as their material components do not have a gold value attached to it, it is, can be replaced by a material components pouch or a spell casting focus or holy symbol, anything like that. So why did they waste the ink to write that if in the next paragraph they write, you actually don't need to buy any of these things because as long as you're a caster that has a spell casting focus, which is all casters you don't need to use any of these things. So I guess why write it? Why even include it? It seems a little confusing, especially for new players that may not understand the spellcasting system. Right. And I agree. I think it would be just uh, much cleaner and easier to understand if they just wrote, you know, hey, you're required to have your spellcasting focus or component pouch or, or holy symbol. 
Um, and then in the description, they mentioned, hey, this spell uses these items so that if you as the player wanted to get really descriptive and say, oh, I pull out a bit of phosphorus and run my hand through it, and that's how I cast Wall of Fire, or however you want to describe your spells by using the components as flavor, you can certainly do that. And I understand that, you know, like we mentioned, there are certain components that you actually need to have, whether they're, uh, they are have some sort of gold value attached to it or there's something that spell consumes that you definitely need to have. Sure, that is one case where you can't actually replace those with your spellcasting focus or component pouch. Um, but uh, it, it's a good point. It, it is a bit uh, maybe confusing or overwhelming if you're brand new and you're reading through that going, wow, this is a lot of stuff that I need to acquire as a spellcaster. Spellcasters are pretty hard. But then you realize once you read further into the book that actually none of this stuff really matters because you just have your component pouch. And the, the scenario where you're... Uh, without your component pouch or holy symbol or, or focus, um, it, you know, in the middle of combat or when you need it, it just never ever really comes up in game, um, in real situations. It's, you know, I understand it's a, a mechanic where it could be interesting. You know, some some uh, enemy in in combat realizes you're the caster and they specifically target you to knock your spell casting focus out of your hands or you're, you know, in prison and your hands are bound and you don't have the ability to reach into your component pouch to get the get the material items. Sure, but those situations just are so fringe and so rare that I don't feel like, I'm going to agree with you, I don't feel like it's necessary to mention those things in the requirements of the spell. You can just simply say, you got to have your component pouch with you, and in the description, here's what those things are. Right. A side note, what kind of psychotic sociopathic dms you have to be to say i have now taken away your component pouch like come on i i would yeah. be so upset as a player if that ever happened oh my god it'd be like uh if you were the dm and just took away you know somebody's melee weapons like all of them yeah and cut their hands off the thing that you are good at you can no longer do good luck and with some of these things, like a holy symbol or um, like a druid spellcasting focus, a lot of these things are not just like, oh, I'll just go to the market and pick one up. Like, it's like a especially if, especially maybe if you have like a fringe deity or you have a very special, like, say, a druid that has a circlet made out of petrified oak from this tr from their home tree like all of these things and you make it very personal and special that it's like taken away like well uh, i guess i'll just uh sit here and draw shapes in the sand <laughs> right and wait for combat to be over fun stuff fun stuff uh well my next point uh before i get into the the bulk of what i wanted to talk about today um in, in future versions of uh, the, the Player's Handbook, I would really love to see something that they started in Tasha's, which was giving these fighter playing style archetypes, these, these builds that you could um, sort of assemble a, co a cohesive set of skills um, that made a lot of sense and gave you some suggestions if you were new to fighters and were overwhelmed at how many options there were. I feel like I'd really love to see something similar for casters. Um, maybe some suggested spell choices. Um, and I understand that this gets a little bit more complicated because unlike fighters, certain uh, 
certain spellcasting classes just have access to everything on the list, um, and they can choose which ones they want basically every day. Uh, classes like Druid and Cleric would be pretty much impossible to do that for. Uh, but for classes that have uh, a, a separate list of known spells, like Wizards, um, I think uh, Warlocks are the same way. Um, sorcerers, I think, have something similar. I could be wrong. But um, I would really love to see some sort of suggested build. Um, and I think this would be especially valuable, like I said, if you're brand new to a class and you don't know like what are the good go-to spells, uh, or you just want to do something a little bit different, um, I would really love to see some suggested builds. You know, here's something that's uh, a bit more aggressive. Here's some combat-heavy spells. Or here's something that's, you know, more roleplay-heavy or more defensive. Um, because there are a lot of choices, especially with, with more and more source books that come out the, your options just increase and so i really love to see something similar to like what they did with fighters and just give some suggested builds or archetypes for for casters i am so glad that you said this um again with my point earlier when i said that there needs to be a little bit more accessibility i think that players that are new to dungeons and dragons there is so much information thrown at them about the possibilities of what they could do. And I think usually players have like, well, I kind of want to swing my sword or I, I kind of want to be a big beefy character that is a is kind of a bulwark for the rest of their party. Or maybe I'd like to hang back and I'm, I'm very sensitive and I would like to heal and use magic to cure the wounds of my allies. Like there should be... Maybe a separate, I wouldn't say source book, but maybe a resource book about archetypes. It has complete lists for each class. Um, all right, you would like to be damage dealing. You'd like to be a bruiser. You'd like to be a tank, a healer, or just a squishy assassin or spellcaster. Like there, there should be archetypes for each type of just any class and i i think it's a really good point and i just i really really believe that there should be something like that because these players that come in don't really i'm you know not to patronize but i'm just assuming that a large portion of these players that are new to D don't really know the possibilities and don't really know what they could create or what type of character they can create so having that as a resource uh, without having to go to the internet or their friends saying, well, I really want to play this and just kind of relying on somebody else. That way they can learn the game by flipping through maybe a resource book that says, okay, I want to be a healer or I want to be a tank. Well, for each class, there is a specific build for doing that very thing. And maybe in the future, well, all I want to play is tanks or all I want to play is bruisers. So for each class, these are the spells that I would need or these are the tactics the the fighting styles that i would need to take to achieve that well i can even say that it's not just for new players too i i can say that i have literally in my time playing DD, have only played a fighter once and it was for a one shot and so like i would need to spend some time learning fighters and learning what the different uh fighting choices are and fighting styles um, so to have suggested archetypes is uh, such an invaluable resource, um, not just for new players, but for people like me that aren't used to playing those classes. Yeah. And I, over and over again, I'm going to, you know, talk about clerics because that's my job and that's what I do. And that's all I've ever done. Um, I get pretty tired of the trope of like, Hey, we need a healer. Can you play cleric? 
Well, that's not all that clerics do. Clerics are actually a very vast breadth of resources, knowledge, skills, a bunch of different things that they can do. And especially with all the different domains, they're not just healing. Like my my war cleric that I'm playing right now, I don't think he's healed a whole ton because there are, there's a druid on the team and there is another... Uh, there's a bard on the team and they heal just as much as my war cleric does because I built him to be essentially a fighter that found God. So he's doing a lot of spells that buff his damage, a lot of spells that buff his allies damage um, and his domain feature, giving people plus 10 to their attack roll. It's only combat based. So I, again, I'm, I'm going on a tangent with clerics, but I think that that would be a very helpful resource for even seasoned players to say, well, I want to play this class but not necessarily a healer or not necessarily a damage dealer absolutely maybe in future future versions we'll see something like that um i'm gonna write wizards a letter right now and say get on it exactly you've had all of quarantine get on it do your job wizards uh <laughs> anyways we love you and uh we're thankful for that DD exists yes absolutely <laughs> uh please don't cancel us uh anyways uh, moving on to a bulk of what I wanted to talk about today. This is really two points, um, but I, I really think I've thought about this for a while, but I think spell slots and a lot with spell casting um, is a bit overwhelming and confusing when it doesn't really need to be. And I'll start with the first point. Um, as far as I understand it, I, I could be way off on this, but the way that I interpret what spell slots represent and what they mean, they're a confusing approach to something that most of us are already familiar with. Um, and if we are to interpret that spell slots represent uh, the amount of arcane energy that a spell takes to cast, Right. You know, as you level up in, in, in spell casting classes, you have access to higher level spell slots. It means you can cast stronger spells. Um, it takes a certain amount of arcane energy to cast your spell. So as you grow in power, you have more arcane energy with which to cast these spells. And for like lower level spells, it doesn't really take that much. You can cast a bunch of first level spells, but for something much stronger, it might take a bigger chunk out of you. That concept, this idea of an arbitrary or imaginary amount of arcane energy whenever you cast a spell. We call it spell slots in D&D, but if you've ever played like literally any other RPG, whether it's tabletop or video games, we're familiar with this idea already. And it's called magic points or mana pool or arcane energy, whatever you want to call it. And I understand that it's not exactly the same because with uh, a magic point system or a mana pool system, um, whether you've played, uh, you know, Diablo or Legend of Zelda, anything that has a magic casting system in it, those magic points, you can cast them, you can use them for whatever you want. And I understand that's different in D&D because spell slots go to specific spells. You know, your second level spell slot can be used to cast a second level spell. Um, and sure, you can cast a first level spell at a higher level sometimes, but that's kind of, you know, beside the point. Um, I, I don't, I just never understood why we need to have this really confusing approach to something that we all already know about and are familiar with this idea of magic points. Um, and to reiterate, I understand that if we did try to, um, maybe transfer over or reskin D and D to use a mana pool system, that would then mean that you can use you know, your quote, second level spell slot to cast some other spells, or you can use your whole pool of first level spell slots to cast a higher spell. 
that's kind of what that would result in. But why not? You know, if I have, if I'm a, if I'm a caster and I've, you know, I'm a fifth level caster or whatever it is, uh, I'm just something that's ridiculously, you know, I'm, I'm kind of up there and I've got this, I've got a ton of first level spell slots that honestly at that point are kind of useless. You know, they're just not powerful anymore. I'm casting, you know, stuff like time stop and like, you know, fifth, sixth level fireballs and things like that. A first level spell is not really impactful anymore, but because of my spell slots, I can't use these 10 first level spell slots that I've got to cast something higher. It doesn't really make sense to me. You know, if spell slots are indeed this arc, this, this pool of arcane energy that I'm using to cast spells, why can't I use a bunch of first level spells to cast one fifth level spell? You know, that just, it doesn't really make sense to me that we use this really confusing approach to a concept that we're all familiar with and that I can't use a bunch of first level spells to cast something higher. Right. I know that it did appear some, you know, this sort of mana point spell points. It was a variant rule in Unearthed Arcana in third edition and, um, you know, doing some, some research on this point, because I think this is a very interesting point. Um, there is a variant rule in the Dungeon Master's Guide on page 288 and 289 regarding spell points as a, as a variant rule. But I, I, I can already hear the arguments against it, that it's unbalanced, that it's hard to balance because, you know, you could just spend all of your points casting ninth level spells over and over and over. But at the same time, if I could cast uh, Cure Wounds... 30 times why couldn't i cast a ninth level spell three times that's i'm still using the same amount of energy it's it's like saying i'm going to do a track and field event i have enough energy to run uh a hundred yard dash four times but i couldn't do two uh 200 yard dashes because that's just too much for me like it's the same it's the same amount of energy being used and it, it just does not translate like why you can't do why can't you spend all of your energy to do all of your big stuff right away and then to have the punishment be now you can't cast you can cast barely any other lower end stuff and you can't cast any high level stuff now yeah it's just a subtraction of energy throughout the day magical energy and may okay this is me maybe getting a little snarky um you say it's hard to balance i say you're being lazy <laughs> like it's not that hard to ban if you think about you know just take a second just take a second to look at okay what spells are created what spells are we using i have a certain amount of magical power i can use throughout the day and now i'm done like if you think about all right now everyone can do this i don't think it's that unbalanced um i know one of the biggest outcries is about healing but uh, Come on. I think we've talked about this in a previous episode about, yeah, healing's powerful, but it's really not that powerful. It's it's not that powerful because of rolls can be terrible and you could heal 10. If you're going to cast a fifth level cure wounds, you could very well heal only 10. That's 5d8 plus your uh, ability score modifier at that point. You could roll all ones and heal 10 casting a fifth level spell. That's not game-breaking. I do have to make a small confession. I did not realize that this uh, variant existed in the Dungeon Master's Guide. I'm glad it does, but I just, uh, I think my point still holds. 
and it really kind of continues with the second part of this um, in that a lot of these, the naming of these different mechanics gets a bit overwhelming. Um, you know, if we, if we continue this out further and we're looking at, we're looking at spell slots, um, you know, trying to explain that concept to somebody that's brand new is a bit of a headache. They're asking, well, what, what does spell slots mean and how do I figure out what I can cast? And it's like, well, you have to look at this table and look at what level you are and then go over from left to right and it'll tell you how many spells and how many spell slots at what level. And then you have to read through the player's handbook to see how many spells at that level and what you can prepare. And if you're a caster that has uh, known spells versus prepared spells and spell level, or if you're a caster that has access to all spells, and it just is a lot of confusing points. Um, and we looked at the, the naming of these things. A lot of these things have very similar names, and it's a bit overwhelming. You know, we've got uh, spell slots and prepared spells, known spells, uh, spell level, what your caster level is, casting spells at a higher level. And it's just a lot of information. Um, you know, I think if you're looking at this thinking like, you know, uh, I as a fifth level caster, so I can cast fifth level spells because I'm a fifth level caster, Actually, no, you're, you can't. <laughs> you can't cast 5th level spells at 5th level. You can cast 3rd level spells at 5th level. And you can go up to level 20 as a caster, but cast spells only go to ninth level. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I get it. This is just a, something that's you know always been in D&D, and maybe my uh, criticism of it is leading me towards a different, entirely different RPG system. Maybe that's one day... Um, but I think the uh, the criticism still holds. It's it's a it's a lot of very similarly named things and makes the the concept of spellcasting a bit confusing. When in reality we're already familiar with how magic works in an RPG. We're familiar with the idea of when you cast a spell that takes a certain amount out of you, and you can you know at each level you have a certain number of spells, right? When you play uh, any sort of RPG video game. You, you can level up and get more spells. Or you, at, at a certain level, you have this many spells to cast. You can look at your options and choose. That's not a new concept. I think adding in all these different terms, spell levels and prepared spells and known spells um, and, and spell slots, it just adds a layer of confusion that doesn't need to be there. Yeah, like, like you said, any sort of video game, JRPG, like I'll just say Final Fantasy, for example, your fire spell turns into... Firaga. All right. Well, that has now like doubled, if not tripled, the amount of mana that it takes to cast this spell. Yeah, it's a bigger spell. It costs more mana. So why like why are we saying that like okay, someone could cast uh cure and cast it like five times, but now we're saying that like that that cure five times costs the same amount as Firaga two times but we're saying that you can only cast Faraga once because i only have one spell slot of that level no it's it's a it's a i just really really believe that it should be an energy pool a mana pool it's strength that you're drawing from like that that would be like saying all right fighter you have uh, a great sword a long sword a short sword and a dagger now, you can use your dagger four times, you can use your greatsword only once, you can use your longsword once, and your shortsword twice. That's just not how stamina works. That's not how energy works. 
and I don't think it's necessarily overpowered or broken or unbalanced at all. You know, maybe a mana pool system would allow you to cast Fireball three times instead of twice. But so what? You know, if that's the choice that you want to make, the, that might that third time of casting Fireball might eat up the entire remainder of your, you know, your, your quote, spell slots or mana pool. But so what? You weren't going to use those anyways. You were just going to let that pool of first level spells sit there doing nothing. It just gives exactly. you a little bit more freedom as to what you want to do with... Uh, with your ability to cast spells instead of going, well, I've used up my 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 last remaining second level spell slot for the day. Uh, I guess I can't cast it anymore. I have all these first level spells. I guess I'll cast, you know, uh, a magic missile. Right. It. That's the point I'm also trying to make as well. Is like, I don't think that as a caster, other than a warlock, I've used up all of my spell slots in a day. I honestly don't think that I've done that ever. I've had spell slots go to waste. Well, quote unquote waste. Like they, I don't use them. Right. And I probably could have used them in battle. Um, but I would love to cast this third level spell, but all I have are weenie first level spell slots. I guess I'll just cast a cantrip, I guess. Maybe that's where that meme of, I didn't ask how big the room was. I said, I cast fireball comes from. Yes. I got to use like, up my spell slots. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta use them like there's I yeah I think that's a very fair point and I think that they're really maybe this is where I kind of want to harp I think this specifically there needs to be some sort of different system set in place because I think spell slots is just it's far too much to think about it's it, once you get it you get it but if you don't get it I didn't get it for a long time I had to watch like a 30 minute YouTube video explaining it to me before I jumped into 5e because I had no clue yeah that, and it was very intimidating a similar experience and even when I'm playing a, a new caster for the first time that's you know the one that I played the most was a druid and I understand how druids work because I played it for a while but it was confusing at first even nowadays when I pick a new caster class that isn't druid i have to reread that section on known spells prepared spells choosing spells when you level up like four times because it's just it's very specific as to how each one of those works and it's it, it it's not the most straightforward thing it's kind of confusing until you do it a few times even if you play DD for a while it, it can be a bit much you have to review because each class kind of does it differently mm-hmm um, I think I've, I've beat that one to death. Uh, do you have any other points? I think I think we've talked spells to death in this episode. Yeah, I you know I, I think we did a good a good job talking about the things the main thing that we had a big problem with and that's that's spell slots and spell casting like that. And you know again to wrap up the the book could be written a little bit differently for accessibility's sake. I think that definitely we should have a resource book that has archetypes playable archetypes in it rather than having to look that up or other people's opinions on what that should and should not be um i think wizards should uh come out with a resource book that has archetypes for new players and things like that hey they drastically changed how armor class worked at one point so they can drastically change how spell casting works i don't exactly. i don't see why not yeah and if they did it in tasha's for fighters yeah. they can do it in another book for everyone absolutely absolutely um well again 
5e, we love you. We just want you to be better. We want you to be the best you can be. And uh, we are eternally grateful for the existence of Dungeons and Dragons, especially during quarantine, um, where this game brings us so much joy. And we're glad to be able to talk to you all about it. So. Absolutely, 100%. Well, anyways, that is our show for this week. Thank you guys so much for stopping by. If you like this episode, please check out our future episodes, which are released Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Central. We will actually be taking a couple of week break coming up here in honor of Britain's wedding. And when we come back, we're going to wrap up our discussion about our beefs with 5th edition. Um, possibly talking about some things we really like about 5e. You know, we'll, we'll end on a high note. So... Anyways, this has been Discussions and Dragons. I'm Jiren. And I'm Britton. And we'll see you next time.